is a joke that might just be more between Jules and myself and those who come from the United Methodist tradition. Um, but I kind of wanted to explain it a little bit. It actually comes from the name of this book. Um, this is uh, an extension of the United Methodist hymnal. I don't know how long ago it was published. How old is this, Stephanie? Do you know? I didn't read that. It's, it was published in the 80s. Um, and a lot of good stuff in here that we tap into for worship actually quite often. But the, it's called The Faith We Sing. That's the name of the book. So this whole series name is just, a, we're just having some fun with this particular name of this book called, and we call this series The Faith We Really Sing because we're focusing on some of the things that we sing in the course of our worship music that we should probably examine a little bit more closely. We should at least take a look at that and go, hmm, hmm, what do we mean by that? How do I feel about that? Is that something we should actually continue to sing in light of what we're learning about God, in light of what we're learning about Jesus? And so we're in week three of this series, the first week. Uh, Jules and I talked about uh, Jesus is my boyfriend songs, and we spent some time talking about those. Last week, Jules uh, preached on this idea that we sing about where Jesus and, and God end up being an angry dad or a conquering king. And this week, I get to talk about Jesus as a superhero. I'm going to need to pray first, so let me do that. God, thank you for the opportunity to speak what I hope are your words, are words of truth, at least words that prompt us to think to consider, I pray that during this time you will open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for each one of us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I need to give you a fair warning that I hope you will bear with this pastor this morning because we get to talk about superheroes. And I have a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old boy, so superheroes are pretty huge in our house. Dominates a lot of our conversation talk about superheroes. It's also turned me into a super nerd. And so this morning, I'm gonna end, out, I'm gonna end up nerding out quite a bit in this conversation, bear with me. I hope that that you will uh, be patient with me as I get way too excited talking about this particular topic. You see, the, the topic of superheroes is huge right now. I mean, I think you'd have to be living in a cave to not realize that superheroes, especially comic book superheroes, are extremely prevalent in our culture. The biggest money-making movies over the last 10 years have been superhero movies. We're big on going to the theater and watching comic book superheroes. In fact, I just heard rumor that this year's Oscars, which lost their initial host, the Oscar Awards ceremony, is actually, they're trying to assemble all of the actors and actresses who are the Avengers in the Avengers movies, and they're gonna host the Oscars, which I think is awesome. I'm excited about that. So along with this idea of uh, superheroes being popular because they're so popular, 
it's pretty easy to make that turn toward the greatest hero we have in the history of the world being portrayed as a superhero. This idea of Jesus as superhero, it's not that much of a stretch to make. And it's, it's really compelling when you consider the current state of pop culture. It's why we can find images like this one on the internet. It's also why if you Google Jesus is my superhero, which I did, you will find three, search, three pages of search results that are all a link to one song that comes from, this is an actual song that was a part of some vacation Bible school curriculum for the Vineyard Church, okay? I'm gonna show you this video and I'm gonna give you a heads up. I'm gonna give you fair warning. It's super catchy. So this may be a little bit of an earworm for you. So just, there, I'm gonna, that's all I'm gonna say is I prime you for this video, but I had to show this so you get what I'm talking about. Oscar, could you hit that for me, please? see the rest of it, I encourage you. Go to YouTube. Check it out. There's a few different versions of it. Now, this, this is no doubt fun, right? This is fun. Um, the, the song is ridiculously catchy. In fact, this morning, as Jules and I were sitting there, after I'd shown her this video and we laughed together, I was sitting there trying to get some work done, and I found myself going, I got to turn some music on and get this out of my head, right? So it's, it's ridiculously catchy. It's no doubt compelling for kids. You've got this Lego superhero idea, they're jumping up and down better than Spider-Man. Totally, Jesus as a, as a superhero makes Jesus seem totally and incredibly awesome, right? This one problem, 
that's not Jesus. That's not, that's not who Jesus is. That's not a Jesus that we read about in Scripture at all. It's not just kids who sing about Jesus as a superhero. I, I told you at the very beginning of this series that, that Jules and I were going to examine some lyrics to some songs that we would never sing, some songs that sometimes we sing but we change the word. This morning, I want to look at the two songs we sang in worship, okay? First, I want to start out with the song Mighty to Save, a song that I really like. I love it because I love the, the words of the verses. Everyone needs compassion. A love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a savior, the hope of nations, right? All of this, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's almost like he straps the cape on and we get the chorus which says, Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. So it goes from Verses that I can hang with, and all of a sudden, Jesus is moving natural structures, like Superman style, okay? My God is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. We get this superhero language, and it seems to come out of nowhere when you look at the rest of the verses. We sing songs about Jesus as our conquering superhero, now, here's the thing. Jesus talked about how faith could move mountains, for sure. Jesus performed actual miracles, calmed the storm, healed the sick, raised the dead. And all of this sounds heroic, right? But the idea of Savior, he never really moved the mountains. He didn't do that. So I think we need to be careful and pay attention to what exactly, what attributes are we singing about that actually apply to Jesus. Can we look at the next one there, Oscar? You put up the verse from, yeah. Just think about this in light of Jesus as a superhero. This verse that we sang from a mighty fortress is our God. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man, I almost want to say superman, on our side. The man of God's own choosing does ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Sabbath his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Here we have Jesus fighting the forces of evil. Even our old hymns seem to echo and ring with the idea of Jesus having these superpowers and being this superhero that defeats evil forces. But here's the thing. That's not how Jesus saves. That's not how Jesus works. Now, some would protest right away. And some of you might be thinking, wait, 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 Jesus is powerful. Hold on just a second. You're not saying that Jesus isn't powerful. I'm saying, believe me, my Christology is high enough that I'm not saying that Jesus is not powerful. However, some would protest and say, look at the book of Revelation. Just look at the book of Revelation and how we see Jesus portrayed in Revelation. Several years ago, a then popular evangelical pastor from up in Seattle said the following in the course of one of his sermons. He said, in Revelation, Jesus is a prize fighter with a tattoo down his leg, a sword in his hand, and the commitment to make someone bleed. That is the guy I can worship. I cannot worship the hippie diaper halo Christ 
because I cannot worship a guy I can beat up. Yeah, right? P.S. This whole church fell apart. Didn't, didn't last very long, right? He was popular for a while, had a little bit of a downfall. But in any case, biblical scholar and pastor Greg Boyle, he writes this about this betrayal of Jesus that we see in Revelation. He said it's really significant that the sword Jesus uses isn't held in his hand. If we actually look at the book of Revelation, the sword isn't held in his hand. It rather comes out of his mouth. This signifies that Jesus defeats enemies not by brute force, but by speaking words of wisdom and truth. This is the Jesus even of Revelation. And if we look at our text for this morning, we get a clearer picture of how Jesus saves and why Jesus doesn't fit the mold of our modern day comic book superhero. But first, a little bit of what you might call ironic backdrop. This I am statement that Jesus says about himself, we've been going through each week, side note, each week, Jules and I have presented one of the I am statements from the book of John, where Jesus self-defines, self-describes. And this particular one comes after Jesus literally rescues a damsel in distress, if you will. Right after a moment where he kind of plays superhero, we read these words. Some of you may remember the story that, of Jesus and the woman who is caught in adultery. In this story, this woman is caught by, by folks. They're brought, she's brought before teachers and, and leaders of the law, the Pharisees. And notice just she's brought before them. It's not the man. It's her that's the one who's in trouble. And they bring it her, and then they say to Jesus, hey, what do you say? The law says that we should stone this woman. We should kill this woman. She was caught in adultery. What do you say? Trying to trap him. Now, if this were a Marvel comic book movie, this would be the moment, I would imagine, that either the, the metal suit would drop onto Jesus or he would approach his utility belt or he would just start doing some karate moves and just nailing every single person in that circle who was holding the stone ready to kill this woman. Wipe them all out, take them all out, save her, fly her away, right? But he doesn't do that. Instead, if you remember the story, he just kneels down in the dirt and he writes something which is still a mystery, whatever he wrote. And then he simply says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And those words were more powerful than any brute force could be. And after a few moments, the stones started to drop out of people's hands and they started to leave the scene and Jesus speaks to this woman with kindness and sends her on her way. And then, right after this, according to the author of John's Gospel, Jesus says the following, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Did you catch that? Jesus says that he is light. He's not about 
violence like we might find in the book of Revelation, which we always need to be very careful with that book, especially if you try to literally interpret the book of Revelation, it's problematic. But instead, instead of this violence, he's about an opening of the mind, an opening of the eyes and the heart, and a deepening of understanding of this way that he is teaching, this way that he is walking. This is a different kind of revelation, if you will. Perfect kind of revelation for the season of epiphany, where our eyes are opened and we see the light, the truth that is Jesus. In his own words, Jesus is describing himself not as a superhero, but as a wisdom teacher. In this way, he's less like Superman or Iron Man or Wonder Woman or Black Panther or Thor or Captain America or Batman or Aquaman. Did I miss any guys in the back? Any? Ant-Man, of course. Oh, can't miss Ant-Man. Any? Others? Hulk, right? Who do I miss, guys, back there? Anybody? Miss anybody? Captain Marvel. Oh, Captain Marvel. Thank you, James. We knew. Yes, see? He's less like all of those people any of those key figures that we find in our 21st century blockbuster movies. Or, and this is where I'm really going to nerd out, I warn you. Or to use another analogy from another pop culture universe, he's not like Han Solo, or Luke Skywalker, or Chewbacca, or Princess Leia. And this is where, I, oh, I hope you'll bear with me, I hope your eyes don't roll completely out of your head. He is more like Yoda. You put the picture up there for me, Oscar. Jesus is more like Yoda. Oh my gosh, the pastor has gone crazy. No, no, bear with me, stick with me when I talk about this. He's more like Yoda. Yoda, the great and wise Jedi master from the classic saga of the Skywalker family. Yoda, who trains Anakin Skywalker, who turns into Darth Vader, if you haven't seen the movies, and if you haven't, you're crazy, you need to watch them. And his son, Luke Skywalker, in the deep wisdom and power of this Jedi way that's known as the Force. Yoda trains folks in a way of being, a deeper way of centering oneself and opening oneself to, to wisdom in a way of of deep and mysterious presence that resonates throughout the universe. And if you aren't starting to pick up that this sounds an awful like, lot like the divine, you should pick up on that, because it's there. This picture of Jesus as a wisdom teacher is one that we don't focus on that much. We, do, we don't talk about, about it that much in our, our contemporary churches. And I think that part of this might be because some of us were raised in, in church to defend against the idea that Jesus is only a wise person. I don't know if any of you grew up in, in a tradition where, I mean, I was taught, I was taught this thing called apologetics, and this is how we argue the Christian faith. And I was taught that, that Jesus is not just another wise teacher. Jesus is something beyond that and different from that. And so because of that, we tend to just cast that aside. And, and we talk about Jesus in different ways than wisdom teacher because we're afraid of that idea. We're nervous about talking it, about it that way. It seems maybe too new agey if we talk about Jesus as a wisdom teacher. However, 
If we carefully read the Gospels and seriously study who Jesus was and what he preached, I think we discover that just such a picture is revealed to us, that that is what we see, that Jesus is this wise teacher. Cynthia Burgo is an Episcopal priest, and she also teaches at the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And she writes this, this is a, a lengthy excerpt for, from her writings, but it's so good that I just lifted it and wanted to use it this morning and share it with you. She writes this about this picture of Jesus as wisdom teacher. She writes, there's been a strong tendency among Christians to turn Jesus into a priest, our high priest. The image of Christos Pantacrador, Lord of all creation, dressed in splendid sacramental robes, has dominated the iconography of both Eastern and Western Christendom. But Jesus was not a priest. He had nothing to do with the temple hierarchy in Jerusalem, and he kept a respectful distance from most ritual observances. Nor was he a prophet in the usual sense of the term, a messenger sent to the people of Israel to warn them of impending political catastrophe in an attempt to re redirect their hearts to God. Jesus was not interested in the political fate of Israel, nor would he accept the role of Messiah continuously being thrust upon him. Rather, he stayed close to the ground of wisdom, the transformation of human consciousness. He asked timeless and deeply personal questions. What does it mean to die before you die? How do you go about losing your little life to find the bigger one? Is it possible to live on this planet with a generosity, abundance, fearlessness, and beauty that mirror divine being itself? Now, I want to say again, I want to be clear, that we're not saying that Jesus is strictly a wisdom teacher, only a wisdom teacher. Again, we have a higher Christology than that. Still, if we begin to see and embrace this picture of Jesus, then we clearly, I think, see that he's more Yoda than he is Superman. Now, quick aside, I have to say this for anyone who might listen to this down the road on the podcast. Some of you hardcore Star Wars nerds are going to balk at that statement, and my own two boys might push back on me and say, listen, Dad, or listen, Pastor Andy, Yoda totally picked up a lightsaber and fought Count Dooku in the Attack of the Clones, and he fought Darth Sidious in Revenge of the Sith. And I'm going to fire right back at you and remind you that both of those fights are a much younger and less patient Yoda, and they also show up in the prequel movies, which are... Though they are canon, are complete garbage, and therefore not a solid reference point for the true nature of Yoda. But I, I seriously, but I seriously digress. So, if Jesus is not our traditional superhero, and is indeed more of a powerful yet non-violent wisdom teacher, then, then where's the good news in that? That's the question we've been asking every week, is where's the good news in that idea? And I believe the answer to that question brings us back to our text. Jesus invites us to follow in his way, to walk in his light, to hear and obey his teaching, and to recognize this deeper wisdom that we are to seek 
even within us via contemplation and action. And that way, my friends, may be difficult, but it is doable. In fact, it is a way of life. Jesus even calls it, calls himself, the way of life. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't have any real sense of hope that I'll somehow, someday, have superpowers. Oh, I think about it. And my boys and I have the conversation, you know, the classic conversation, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Or this conversation is often narrowed down to, would you rather have flying or invisibility? And there's a real argument there. I know many of you right now, including my co-pastor, are sitting there going flying for absolute certainty. Clearly flying. And I would argue back and go, you're crazy. It's actually invisibility. That's what you should choose every single time. Nevertheless, though I have those conversations, though I think about the idea, I don't have any real hope that I'll ever have those kinds of superpowers and turn into a comic book hero who will defeat all the powers of evil and save the world. And I imagine that if you're being honest, neither do any of you. If you do have superpowers, please come and talk to me. I'll direct you to a specialist. But I do have hope that this way of wisdom, this way of contemplation, of prayer, of of discipleship, of spiritual practice and action, this allows me to be a part of the work of redeeming the world that has been alive and active in the assembled generations of saints, both living and dead. This is doable. This way is something that I can put my hope in, that I can, it's a hope that I can live into. And to me, that's good news. It it isn't in some fantasy realm of having superpowers or even of Jesus having superpowers. It's a very real and practiced and practical way of following the light that is Christ. That kind of hope is much more realistic and it's it's also much, much more world-changing. And you and I are welcomed to practice that world-changing wisdom way. That's how Jesus self-identifies. We are the assembled force, if you will, that God is moving in among and through to to truly transform each one of us, to save us, if you will, and to save all of creation. May we, ordinary, everyday, no superpowers, disciples, followers of this way, may we be encouraged and empowered to follow that Jesus and to walk in his light. Amen. It is our practice here to remind one another of the peace of Christ 
I think this morning. <laughs>